skills hard to follow up an announcement like that. Um, I uh, had an opportunity to uh, be on a jury some, uh, some years ago. And uh, it was a case of two, two, two policemen uh, arrested a person who was selling, I guess, illegal merchandise, uh, I think at a baseball game. Right? They, they, people that, that organize a baseball game want to make sure they're the ones selling. They don't want somebody else showing up and selling uh, his merchandise there. So the police apprehended the person. Um, and they accused him of uh, assaulting them, and he accused them of assaulting him. Uh, and I found it a slightly, a somewhat frustrating experience uh, because there were no eyewitnesses, which is kind of crazy when you think about that. It's, uh, I imagine it was like the parking lot, thousands of people. You know, somebody must have seen what happened. But uh, for whatever reason, neither the, the defense nor the prosecution was able to produce a witness that actually saw what happened. And I'm thankful, since I live in this country, that um, you can only find someone guilty when it's beyond, what is it, reasonable evidence. So, so we had to say not guilty, not guilty, right? Nobody was accused of anything because there were no witnesses. Um, Today we'll be looking at a passage in Revelation chapter 11 where we will see witnesses. And so I wanted to think about uh, witnesses for God. We, we just uh, um, sang a, a beautiful song about uh, is he worthy, is he worthy, and thinking of all the things that God has done for us. Uh, there's many people in this world that don't recognize that God has done anything for us. Right, they, I, I was raised as an atheist, I, or agnostic at best, uh, not believing that there was a God. Uh, some people might believe that there is a God, but they'll believe in some other religion, uh, or they, they might even consider themselves Christian, but not understand everything that God did for them. And uh, that's not God's desire. God's desire is to have witnesses, clear witnesses, that are able to, to speak the truth about him, who he is, and what he has done for us. Isaiah 43 uh, speaks of that. It says, uh, Isaiah 43, verse 10 and 11, says, You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. So God calls us his witnesses, and uh, we recognize here that before we can be witnesses for God, we ourselves have to come to know God. So it's kind of interesting. God goes through the world, and he draws people to himself who come to know him, and then they themselves could become uh, points of light, if you would, witnesses, witnessing to the truth so that other people can hear, and they too come to know God, and they too can witness, right? And that's how God has been going through history uh, all the way from, from this time in Isaiah and before. God has been drawing people to himself, 
revealing himself to them and then desiring them to reveal himself uh, to others. So that's, those are, that's the kind of witnesses that God is looking for. And today we'll be looking at two particular witnesses in history that had perhaps a somewhat unusual ministry. And yet they're among many of God's witnesses over the centuries. Uh, with that, let's turn to Revelation chapter 11, and we'll read verses 1 through 14. Revelation 11, 1 through 14. Then I was given a reed like a measuring rod, and the angel stood, saying, Rise and measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. But leave out the court which is outside the temple, and do not measure it. For it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, Fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls on the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony... The beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. And their bodies and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and will not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. Now after the three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. And great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, Come up here. And they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Uh, we'll break up the message into um, the following. First, we'll look at the place and time of witness. Then we will look at the job de description for the witness or witnessing or witnesses. Then we'll look at the world's rejection and persecution of the witnesses. Then God's approval and reward of the witnesses then God's uh, faithful warnings and some application uh, to ourselves. So first, the place and time of witness. We see John given a uh, reed like a measuring rod, 
uh, in those days. Uh, people would measure things with, with a measuring rod that was, could be measured in, in feet or yards, and they'll see how many times that, that measuring rod is marking the distance that they need to go. So John was given something like that, and then he was told to measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. So we see that during the time of, of uh, Revelation or the tribulation period, there will be a temple uh, in Jerusalem. So today there is no temple in Jerusalem. The last temple that was there was destroyed by the Romans <coughs> in 70 AD, 40 years after uh, Jesus' um, ministry. And so you, you ask yourself, well, where is this temple coming from? Uh, Sharon and I had an opportunity to visit Israel about 20 years ago. It was kind of a wedding present uh, to us for my parents. And as we went through the old city of Jerusalem, we came into what looked like a store. We were just kind of touring. And when we came into the store, we saw this uh, model of uh, what's called the third temple. So now the third temple does not exist. Right? All they have is a model. And uh, when I asked them what it was, they said, well, this is the third temple. That's a temple that will one day be built in Jerusalem. And I was kind of scratching my head uh, because there's a problem if you go to the next picture um, where the temple was, today is the Dome of the Rock. That's the third holiest site in Islam. Uh, and they're not going to allow a temple to be built there. And so I asked the people at the store, how is this going to happen? And they said, it takes a lot of faith to believe. Right? But they clearly believed that this is going to happen. And they're right. Now, these people at the store, my understanding, they were Jews. They were not Christian. And they just recognized that uh, Israel's relationship with God depended, and now this is before Jesus came, depended on the temple. The temple was the way... The nation of Israel was to approach God. That's where the sacrifices were to be offered. And they realized we're not going to be fulfilled as a nation uh, with our relationship with God unless we have this temple. So they believe one day it will be built. And here we see in Revelation, the temple will be there. Right? So the people who believe the temple will be built are right. Now, as Christians, we do not depend on the temple for our relationship with God. We don't need it. Right? And there's no particular reason to believe that when the temple is built, that God will use it as a means of renewing his relationship with Israel. He sent to them his son, the Lord Jesus, as the Messiah. And their relationship with God depends on the Lord Jesus, just like our relationship with God depends on the Lord Jesus. But people will be moved to build the temple because we see it in the scripture. So we know it will be there. Now, I mentioned the place and the time. So uh, John is instructed to measure the temple, but then he's told to leave out the court which is outside the temple and do not measure it, for it has been given to the Gentiles, and they will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So first of all, we notice this 42 months, period, and we've seen in the book of Revelation, uh, if you want to, you could go to the next slide, uh, that um, the period of what we call Revelation or tribulation is actually divided into two sections of three and a half years, 
Now, three and a half years is 42 months, right? So it's 12 months in a year. So three and a half times 12 is 42. So we know he's talking about one of these, either the beginning of sorrows, three and a half years, or the second half, which is the great tribulation, three and a half years. And we have clues because we look at, uh, for example, Daniel 27. So we looked at this like a couple of months ago as we were trying to understand the times that uh, are being described in the book of Revelation. And in verse 27 of this 70-week prophecy, we were told, and he, uh, and the he there is referring to the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant with many for one week. Remember, the one week is a period of seven years. These were weeks of years. Uh, but in the middle of the week, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offering. So there we get the half of a week, right? It's a period of a week that's left over in Israel's prophecy, but there's going to be, that period of week is going to be broken into two halves of three and a half years. The Antichrist will make a covenant with the nation of Israel, and then halfway through the week, he's going to break it. Right? So that's a three and a half years, and we're told uh, the rest of Daniel 27, and on the wing of abominations shall be one who make desolate even until the consummation, which is determined, is put out on the desolate. So it kind of sounds like something really bad is going to happen after, after that first three and a half years. Second ha uh, half year is going to be really bad. Jesus adds details to this in Matthew 24, 15 through 21, Jesus says, Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. The holy place is the temple of God, right? And, and we're told elsewhere in the scripture that the Antichrist will actually enter the temple of God, presenting himself as God. He will want to be the center of worship. And we'll see that as we keep going through Revelation, that there's a whole system of worship designed to get the world to worship the Antichrist. So that's what's going to happen halfway through the point of the period of tribulation, right? The Antichrist is going to break whatever covenant he had with the nation of Israel. He's going to enter the temple presenting himself as the God that ought to be worshipped. And that's going to completely break his relationship with Israel. Is not going to agree to that, right? It's like, no way, right? And the result is, Jesus says, um, then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to, to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be great tribulation such as has not been since the beginning of the world until this time, nor ever shall be. So this description of the nation of Israel being completely uh, under attack fits well with the statement in chapter 2, sorry, uh, Revelation 11 verse 2, saying that the Gentiles will, be, will tread the holy city underfoot for 42 months. So we know that the uh, two witnesses described in this passage are acting as God's witnesses 
in the temple during this period of time, which is the second half of, of tribulation, where the Antichrist himself is being worshipped as God in that temple. Right? That's when these two witnesses are being called to give their witness to the world. All right? So a very, very difficult time to be a witness uh, for the word of God. Okay, now we want to look at the description of the job description of these guys. What is it that they're going to have to do? So verse 3 says, And I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. And it goes on, verse 4 through 6, with additional description. So the first part of the job is to prophesy. What does it mean to prophesy? Often we associate to prophesy as in foretelling the future, right? And, and often it is. You often will see prophets in the scripture, and they will tell Israel of things that are to come. For example, the passage we read from Daniel, the passage we read from Matthew, they were foretelling. They were telling what was going to happen in the future. That's part of God's word. But to prophesy could also mean to foretell. God's word, meaning to speak out the known word of God, right? And that's what I'm technically doing here. Uh, I'm, I'm also interpreting, explaining, and, and helping with application, but I'm also speaking out the word of God. I'm sharing with you what the word of God is. It's something you can do with family and friends. You can tell them what the word of God is saying, and that's technically prophesying as well. Uh, I like the Hebrew word to prophesy. That means... Uh, uh, Lenabe or Nevi would be a prophet. And uh, it's the same Hebrew word as a spring of water. And uh, in Israel, that's, that's uh, kind of a, most of the terrain is kind of dry, somewhat like California. And during the winter, the summer, during the winter, you know, praise the Lord, we sometimes get rain. Um, during the summer, there's no rain at all. And uh, people will attempt to capture water. They'll, they'll, They'll make cisterns to try to capture water. They might dig wells to get water. Uh, but really, the most beautiful is in when you just have a spring of water coming out of the rock. And there's places like that in Israel where you'll just see water coming out of the ground. Uh, and that's literally what the word to prophesy means, to have water coming out of the ground. And in a place like Israel, that California too, during the summer is completely dead, you'll come to a place where water is coming out of the ground, and you'll see life. And uh, that's what the Word of God is. It's life. Right? In a world that is full of lies uh, from, from the devil. Right? Uh, he's the prince of the power of the air. He's the ruler of this world. Uh, that's why you have these jurors sitting confused. It's like, what's going on? We don't know what's happening in this world because of all the lies. You have a place where the truth of God is coming out. And those who believe that truth receive eternal life. Eternal life. So that's what it means to prophesy. Uh, we don't know exactly what these prophets would prophesy, what these witnesses will say. Uh, somebody made an effort to, to guess. I'm going to read it. Um, and again, these are, these are things that are in the Word of God, so they don't include these this witnesses for Telling. It could simply be them forth telling, uh, but these are teachings of the scripture that would apply 
during this time. So you could imagine these uh, witnesses saying something like this. They will warn the people who crowd the temple of the man of sin whom they come to worship, right? So the man of sin is the Antichrist, and uh, he will be there in the temple, and the prophets could be warning, saying this is not God. <laughs> Don't worship him. They will admonish them of the shortness of his time of triumph because, indeed, he will appear to be winning, right? He will seem to be ruling over the world. Everybody is coming to worship him. He has power. Uh, he was healed from a deadly wound, right? He seems completely unbeatable. And yet, uh, he will only reign for these 42 months. Uh, they will admonish them of the coming of Jesus to destroy him. He will, Jesus will destroy the Antichrist. Of the perils which the tribulation will bring. Remember, this is going to be a time where the judgments of God are going to fall on the earth of the need of counting not their lives dear unto themselves when the test of life and death shall come, of their need to fear not him who can kill the body only, but to fear him who can cast both body and soul into hell. There's going to be a huge temptation to worship the Antichrist to just save your life, right? They're going to have the mark of the beast and whoever is refusing to receive the mark of the beast and to worship uh, the Antichrist, the image of the beast, we'll see that in coming chapters, uh, will be killed, right? So people are going to say, whatever, yeah, yeah, I'm a worshiper of the Antichrist. I want to save my life, right? And yet the warning is uh, you do so at the peril of your soul. You're choosing to save your physical life for a few months or years, and you're going to lose your eternal soul as a result of doing that. Of the splendors and nearness of the king and his kingdom after they have suffered for a while, of the sureness that if they suffer with him, they shall also reign with him, and of the eternal peace, righteousness, and glory that shall be theirs who endure to the end, even though it may mean martyrdom in the great hour of trial, through which they are passing. So there's going to be rewards for those who trust in the Lord Jesus at the time. Yes, we will suffer. We might be killed, but we will for eternity be with God in heaven. So that, that some, someone suggested something along these lines for these two witnesses, and it fits with the word of God and with the uh, period and place in which they were prophesying. Uh, there's some other characteristics of their ministry that we could note and perhaps apply uh, to ourselves, as I, as I mentioned. Uh, they're described as the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before God. Uh, olive trees, actually, wait, I, let me back up. Uh, the end of verse 3, it says that they prophesied uh, clothed in sackcloth, and I uh, present it uh, when God is asking us to be his witnesses and to prophesy, to foretell the word of God, it needs to be with God's heart. Uh, Jesus wept over Jerusalem uh, when he was preaching to them. Uh, even when they were antagonistic to him, and in a few days they would crucify him, he wept over them as he shared the word of God. And if we share the word of God with people uh, not really caring about their soul, it comes through. 
and it's not effective. Uh, we need to care about those we share with, appreciate the truth, the reality of what's happening uh, to them and what will happen to them. We need to prophesy with God's power. And this is uh, pictured by these two olive trees and lampstands standing before uh, the God of the earth. The olive uh, tree, there's, there's a whole passage in Zechariah I wasn't going to go into, but um, uh, olive, olive oil was used to light the lamp. So in those days, uh, lamps were lit with olive oil. So without uh, oil, you have no light. Without the power of God, you cannot have uh, the, the light of God that's supposed to come out of his witnesses. We can't witness without God's power. And uh, it's given to us through the Holy Spirit. So the olive oil here uh, is a picture of, of the Holy Spirit uh, given to these two witnesses to be able to witness with uh, the power of God in this very difficult uh, circumstances. Uh, it is the God of the earth which speaks of his authority. Uh, when Jesus gave the Great Commission, he said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And so we preach with God's authority. When we tell people God's truth, we do it with God's power and God's authority in order for it to be effective. Uh, we must prophesy within God's window of opportunity. We don't know sometime when an opportunity will be taken from us. There may be a person in your life who is open for you to share with. Uh, we don't know how long that window is going to be open. So many times in my life, I feel like I missed that window of opportunity. I had that conversation, and I, I couldn't think of what to say, or I thought, well, I'll use another opportunity to share with them because I don't quite feel like it right now, or I'm in a hurry to go somewhere else. Uh, and then that window of opportunity disappears. Uh, the, the verse here says, if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. Um, God didn't, so, so what's described here, and, and not surprising, when you think of these two uh, witnesses witnessing in the temple, where the Antichrist is being worshipped, and all these worshippers around, and I'm sure the security people are all his people, how long can these two witnesses continue with this witness? Uh, people wanted to harm them, people wanted to kill them, and yet fire proceeded out of the mouth of these witnesses and devoured their enemies. Let me you know, submit to you that it wasn't for the protection of these witnesses to prevent them from having to suffer because eventually they will be killed, right? And God is not as concerned with the fact that they're going to suffer because they will be rewarded for their suffering. What God is doing here is keeping open a window of opportunity. He's saying right now, when these multitudes are coming in to worship the Antichrist, I want you here and I want you preaching the truth to them. And God was keeping that window of opportunity open for as long as it was needed. And we'll see, eventually, God will close that window of opportunity. These two have done their ministry. But we want to take advantage of whatever window of opportunity God opens for us to witness to others and not let it uh, disappear before its time or without us speaking the truth God wants us to speak during that time. 
And uh, finally, uh, prophesying must happen with God's evidence, with God's evidence. Uh, here, in their case, we said uh, these have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy, and they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. So these two witnesses, as they witnessed, they could say, I'm going to stop rain, and the rain would stop. They could say, I'm going to turn this water to blood, and they would turn to blood. They could call down any plague they wanted to, as I see it anywhere on the earth, and that would happen. And that would be God's sign, the sign of God's power to show that what these witnesses are speaking is true. Right? It was God's evidence that they were speaking his word. Uh, what about us? Uh, we don't have, I don't have, power to stop the heavens. I don't have the power to turn water to blood. I can't uh, strike the earth with all plagues as often as I desire. Uh, but we are told there is an uh, evidence of the power of God that is affecting uh, my ministry. We're told... Uh, in Ephesians 2.10, that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, I am uh, surrounded here with the evidence of the power of God. Uh, each of you who know the Lord are a workmanship of God. God has worked in your life to change your character. That was part of making you light, making you his witnesses. He has come into your life. He has revealed himself to you. Uh, he has given you a new heart. He has given you the Holy Spirit. And as a result, your life has changed. Uh, I can go back and look at my life before I was saved. And then, you know, something happened that completely changed the trajectory of my life. Uh, if, uh, if a scientist was to look at my life, uh, let's approximate it as a perfect sphere, and it was going <laughs> in a perfect straight line, and then mysteriously change it, its direction, the scientist would say something happened. Right? Some force was applied on this object that changed its trajectory. And the only answer in my life would be the power of God. The power of God. And if you know the Lord... Uh, that happened to you as well. Something has changed the trajectory of your life, and, and that's the evidence of the power of God. And when you share with people, when you witness to people, when you're prophesying, uh, often the most effective part of it is sharing your testimony, just the story of your life. What is it that happened to me? How my life was changed? And that's the evidence of God's power in your life. And same thing when we look at, at your good works. It says that... Uh, uh, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God pre preferred beforehand that we should walk in them. Your life, my life, should be characterized by good works. We do things simply because God wants us to. And every time we do that, uh, whether it's something I do at work, uh, something I'm doing uh, uh, in my private life or in, in public, and I do it because it's what God wants me to do. It's evidence of the power of God. The only reason I'm doing it is because of God's power, God's will in my life. Uh, 
And so we are prophesying with the power of God, with evidence that what we're saying is God's word. Okay, so that's the job description of the witnesses. Um, sadly, we see next a rejection of the witnesses and their testimony. In verse 7, it said, when they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit, that is the Antichrist. Now, the Antichrist is, is a human being. Uh, he was born of woman, right? He came into this world the way all of us have. Uh, but he is empowered by Satan. And, uh, and that would be a good description of Satan as coming out of the bottomless uh, pit. We know God threw him down, cast him down from heaven, and now Satan is on the earth, or at that time Satan will be on the earth, empowering the Antichrist, and so that's a good description of him. Let me find it again. Uh, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, against the two witnesses, not surprising, overcome them and kill them. Remember, only once God allows the window of opportunity to close down. And their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city, uh, which, is, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. So we know it's Jerusalem because Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem. It's a terrible name to call Jerusalem Sodom and Egypt. Jerusalem uh, is, uh, should be the holy city, and yet uh, it's here characterized spiritually as Sodom and Egypt, which are a picture of sin and worldliness. Uh, but that's the way Egypt will be at that, sorry, that's the way Jerusalem will be characterized at that time. It will be a place of sin and of worldliness. Um, uh, where also our Lord was crucified. Then those from the peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations will see their dead bodies three and a half days and not allow their dead bodies to be put into graves. They'll, they'll rejoice so much to finally see these two witnesses whom they've hated lying dead in the street. They're like, hey, nobody put them into graves. We just want to look at their dead bodies. You know, that brings us so much joy. Right? That's going to be the situation. Uh, and those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them, make merry, and send gifts to one another because these two prophets tormented those who dwell on the earth. So, I mean, it's sad there's two witnesses, and uh, uh, the witness is being rejected. Now, uh, there's reason to hope not everyone rejected their witness, right? Some people believed what they said, uh, but when they're killed, uh, most of those who are still around are those who, who rejected their witness and rejoiced over their death. Uh, we shouldn't be surprised, we're told, uh, in John uh, 3.19, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds uh, were evil. Uh, people love their sin, and as a result, they don't want to hear the truth of God, and they're happy uh, when those who speak the truth of God walk away, or uh, even, even better in this case, uh, lie dead on the street, right? They, they love their sin. They didn't want the truth of God. Uh, and so they're glad when, when that light is, is shut up, shut out. Um, something to note here 
is uh, we're using the word witness in Hebrew, in, 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 in English, sorry, we're, we're speaking in English, right? Uh, witness. Uh, the word witness in the Greek is martus, martus. And uh, we get from it the word, the word martyr, martyr. Martyr is one who dies for their faith. Um, and uh, it's interesting that we have ended up with using the word uh, we associate the word martyr or martyrs uh, with someone who dies from their faith when originally in the Greek it was simply that of witness. And the reason for it is uh, the greatest witness you can give uh, for God is to be willing to lose your life for it. Uh, there's a phrase used that the uh, blood of the martyrs was uh, the seed of the church, is that the correct uh, wording? Because all these people who were willing to give up their lives, uh, who were killed in the arenas uh, for sport uh, in Rome, showed the strength of their faith in Jesus. Remember, the evidence of the power of God. And so because of people willing to give up their lives, other people believed. And so uh, these, these two witnesses being killed for their faith was really the final and greatest act of witness to the world. They were willing to die. They endangered their lives for three and a half years preaching in the temple when the Antichrist was being worshipped, and they finally gave their life, sealed their testimony in the greatest possible way that what they said was the truth of God. Um, then we see God's approval Right? The world rejected the witness. God approved of the witness. Verse 11, now after the three and a half days, the breath of God, of life from God, entered them, and they stood on their feet, and great fear fell on those who saw them. And they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here, and they ascended to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies saw them. Uh, God wanted it to be very clear that these two witnesses were preaching the truth. And so after allowing them to lie dead in the street for three and a half days, he raises them to life, and the whole world is watching, right? Uh, there were people who were live witnesses. I imagine some people took their phones out, <laughs> right? Uh, or maybe there were news people with cameras, uh, and, and this became, I'm sure, world news very quickly. Uh, these two witnesses who've been lying dead, you've allowed their bodies to be left out. Well, now you get to see their bodies raised from the dead and, and raised up to heaven. Uh, and besides for the testimony it is to the world, I think there's also a reward here for these two faithful witnesses who've witnessed to him. Jesus says, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Uh, God uh, is calling these two witnesses up to heaven, and they will be rewarded. Um, we, we have a hard time picturing all the rewards uh, that we enjoy in heaven, but the greatest reward certainly will be to be with the Lord and Savior, the one who revealed himself. Uh, to them and made them his witnesses. Now they get to see him face to face and uh, be in his presence for all of eternity. There's, there's reward enough. Uh, 
Finally, we see God's uh, faithful warning. In verse 13, it says, In the same hour there was a great earthquake, and a tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past. Behold, the third woe is coming quickly. Uh, there's a verse in um, Jeremiah where God keeps using uh, his description of sending prophets to Israel again and again. He says, rising up early and sending them. Like every day, God would rise first thing in the morning, send out his witnesses uh, to the world to warn them about their sins and God's coming judgment and of God's provision of salvation uh, to them. And God is still doing it. Every time you share with somebody, you are God's rising up early and, and sending them. Um, but I think, again, after three and a half years, the Antichrist is being worshipped in the temple. These two are, are preaching against him. Signs from heaven. I mean, just so many warnings by God. Even still, after they die and God calls them up to heaven, he's again sending his warning. He's not done in warning them. An earthquake happens. 7,000 people died, and, and I'm sure that's you know, sad for them. I'm sure these are people who, who've been rejecting God's warning again and again. And yet it's only 7,000 out of uh, uh, who knows how many millions, if not billions, are still alive that, that can learn from what's happening. You know, just because you were able to kill these two witnesses and watch their bodies three and a half days doesn't mean judgment is not coming. Judgment is coming. And uh, we know this uh, third woe he's talking about actually contains the last seven bowl judgment where the world will be completely uh, destroyed. And so God is giving one more chance, one more chance. Wake up before it's too late. Respond to God's invitation. Respond to God's witness uh, to you. Okay, I promised some application. Um, who are God's witnesses in your life? Do you have people who have been speaking to you about God, who have uh, opened uh, the truth of God uh, to you? Have, you? have you listened to what they had to say? How have you responded uh, to God's invitation to you? Uh, for those of us who, who know the Lord Jesus, uh, it's interesting to me uh, in Matthew 5, uh, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. It's not like you could be the light of the world. Or maybe if you do such and such, you will be the light of the world. You are uh, the light of the world. God has revealed himself to you so that you can reveal him to others. There's no other light in the world but you. Right? You have the knowledge of God. It says in uh, 2 Corinthians 4, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of glory of God in Jesus Christ. We know him. Uh, what we are commanded to do in Matthew 5.14 is, uh, is let your light so shine before men. You are the light of God. Now let it shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Uh, there's often an emphasis on, on, on speaking, right? Go to your friends and tell them 
Uh, and it's true, we need to tell them. But it is our life uh, that becomes the great light. Like he says, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Live out the truth of God in your life. Obey God's commandment in your life so that your light may shine uh, and people will see uh, him in your life. And then uh, your word, which we should be sharing with people, will have the more power because of that. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, making us your witnesses. We recognize that we did not know you uh, and then you drew us to yourself. You gave to us the knowledge of God. You brought us into a personal relationship with you so that we can share that knowledge with those around us. We ask for help, Lord. Empower us to live the life that you want us to live so our words will be empowered as well to reach the ear of those that you sent us to speak to. Because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.